You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. Wise guys. These guys know sports. Wise guys. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Live here on the Worldwide Sports Network on this Wednesday, November the 24th. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys know sports. I'm Trey Larkins, your host. It is Thanksgiving Eve. You in the house. We're going to be talking some sports here today on Wise Guys Sports. I got Lakers Nation host and senior writer and podcast host of the NBA front office show, Trevor Lane. He will be joining Wise Guys here in a bit, talking some Lakers basketball. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things, man, with the Lakers. You know, they've been struggling on the season. They fell to 9 and 10 on the season after the loss last night to the New York Knicks. So me and Trevor is going to break down the Lakers struggles and I'm going to get his opinion about who he thinks the greatest Laker of all time is. So many things we're going to get into. Also later in the show, I'm going to talk about the Thanksgiving Day matchups in the NFL. We got the Bears traveling to Detroit to take on the winless Lions. And then you got the Raiders looking for a victory, trying to stay afloat in the AFC playoff picture, traveling to Dallas to take on the Dallas Cowboys. You know Dak Prescott and the crew want to have a bounce-back performance. And then in the nightcap, you have the Bills facing off against the New Orleans Saints, both teams trying to compete for playoff spots in their respective conferences. But let's start off in the NFL and I want to start off in the city of brotherly love in Philadelphia as the Philadelphia Eagles they are five and six on the season they are second right now in the NFC East they are on a two-game winning streak this comes after a dominating performance over the New Orleans Saints Sunday afternoon at Lincoln Financial Field the Eagles beat the Saints 40 to 29 and they were dominant in that game overall. Jalen Hurts, he balled out in that game for the Philadelphia Eagles. He went 13 of 24. He only threw for three for 147 passing yards, but he had three touchdowns on the ground in that game. And that's where I want to start off on today's show. I went on record a few weeks ago in the immediate aftermath when the Philadelphia Eagles, they lost in the Thursday night matchup in week six against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I told Eagle fans that they have to remain patient with Jalen Hurts because coming into the season, this was supposed to be a year where the Philadelphia Eagles see what they have in Jalen Hurts because they do have three draft picks next year, I believe, where in the first round, where they have an opportunity to select the quarterback of their future if they believe that Jalen Hurts is not the quarterback 
for their franchise moving forward. So they have, you know, this upcoming draft to try to select their quarterback for the future if Jalen Hurts is not that guy. But after watching Jalen Hurts play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week six, I said that Eagles fans need to remain patient with Jalen Hurts. And we know the Philadelphia fan base is not patient. You know, they don't really wait around for players to develop. They expect instant results, quick, fast, and in a hurry. This is a city that has seen the likes like Allen Iverson, like Charles Barkley. You know, with the Philadelphia Eagles, they had Randall Cunningham. Back in the day, they had Donovan McNabb, who led them to multiple NFC championship games. They were led by Andy Reid, one of the greatest NFL coaches in history at one point, um, lead their franchise. So the Philadelphia Eagles overall as a fan base, patience is something that is difficult for them. But I believe that the Philadelphia Eagles organization and their fans should be patient with Jalen Hurts. And I believe Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback that you can build your team around. And I've been very impressed with Jalen Hurts, the way he's been able to be dominant in the running game for the Philadelphia Eagles. And when you look at Jalen Hurts and what he's done in the running game for the Eagles, right? Let's compare him to Lamar Jackson. In Lamar Jackson's first 15 career starts, he had 4,120 total yards of offense, 26 touchdowns, 12 turnovers, 213 first downs. Jalen Hurts in his first 15 career starts, 4,115 yards of total offense, 29 touchdowns, 11 turnovers, 209 total first downs. I say all that to say, you saw how the Baltimore Ravens and John Harbaugh was patient with Lamar Jackson. I believe the Philadelphia Eagles need to have the same attitude when it comes to Jalen Hurts as their franchise quarterback. I believe he is the quarterback that you can win with in the NFL. Now, look at Jalen Hurts back even in his college days. In college, Jalen Hurts, he had 80 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. He had 9,477 total yards. He completed 65% of his passes at the collegiate level. He was a winner. In college, he got the Alabama Crimson Tide to the national championship game in 2018. Although he did get replaced by Tua in that game, he got them to the national championship game. And then you saw him transfer to Oklahoma in his senior season. And that year, he played at a very, very high level. He had 32 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He completed 70% of his passes at the University of Oklahoma. This is a university that had the likes of Kyler Murray. They had Baker Mayfield at one point and Jalen Hurts stepped right in and he performed at a high level at Oklahoma and had the Oklahoma Sooners in position to compete for a national championship. I've watched Jalen Hurts since he's been in the NFL and I've been paying attention to how dominant he is in the running game. And let's talk about 
the first seven games of the season for the Philadelphia Eagles compared to the last three games. And this is a credit to Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff. The first seven games, their run play percentage was 32%, was ranked 30th in the NFL. The last three games, their run play percentage is 62%, and it's ranked first in the NFL. Running back carries per game. The first seven games, it was 14, which was ranked 32nd in the NFL, dead last. The last three games, running back carries per game is 30 per game, and it's ranked second in the NFL. Let's talk about rushing yards per game. The first seven games of the season, they had 117 rushing yards per game, which was ranked 15th in the NFL. The last three games, they are rushing for over 209 rushing yards per game. That's ranked first currently right now in the NFL. So I want to give a lot of credit to Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff because they are doing a hell of a job putting Jalen Hurts in positions to be successful. And you see Sirianni building this offense around Jalen Hurts and playing to his strengths. Sirianni, he was the offensive coordinator last year in Indianapolis with Phillip Rivers. And I believe at the beginning of the season, you saw Sirianni want to build this offense in the passing game and have Jalen Hurts be a quarterback who drops back to pass, you know, 25, 30 times a game. And that was their formula on how to win games in the early part of the season. It didn't work out for the Philadelphia Eagles. I have to give Sirianni some credit because he has built this offense around the strengths of Jalen Hurts, not Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers was his quarterback last year in Indianapolis. Now your quarterback is Phillip Rivers, Nick. And I have to give Nick some credit because he has played to Jalen Hurts' strengths. And that's one of the main things you have to do when you're a head coach in the NFL. You have to play to your quarterback's strengths. I give Cliff Kingsbury a lot of credit, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, because he's played to Kyler Murray's strengths. And I was critical of the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury. I didn't think he deserved the job, given the fact that he didn't have an impressive record at the collegiate level. But I have to give Kingsbury some credit for how he's coached Kyler Murray, because this year, before his ankle injury, Kyler Murray was an MVP candidate. And that's because Cliff Kingsbury built the offense around Kyler Murray's strengths and that's exactly what Nick Sirianni is doing right now with Jalen Hurts. And coming into the season, I had the Philadelphia Eagles finishing last in the NFC East. I wasn't impressed with Nick Sirianni's press conference when he got the job. His introductory press conference was awful. It was awful. But he has won me over because you look at the Philadelphia Eagles right now. They're five and six on the season. They have an opportunity to compete for a wild card spot, I don't think they're going to win the division in the NFC East. I think the Dallas Cowboys are the favorites to win the NFC East. And they have a lead over the Philadelphia Eagles that I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to overcome. But can the Eagles sneak into the playoffs as a possible seven seed? Possibly. Look at the NFC playoff picture right now. You got the Saints, they in there. You got the Minnesota Vikings in there as well. So you got right now the Saints, they're five and five. Eagles, they own a tiebreaker over the Saints because they just beat them 
in week 11. Vikings, they're five and five. I said the other day on the show, I believe if the Vikings can get to 10 and seven, they should be a playoff team in the NFC. But I think the Eagles may have an opportunity to sneak in the playoffs if they continue to play at a high level and run the football the way they're running the football right now. And this offensive line, they have been dominant. I got to get them some credit. All pro center, Jason Kelsey, right guard, Jake Driscoll, right tackle, Lane Johnson, left guard, Landon Dickerson, left tackle, Jordan Maleta. I love to show some love and give credit to offensive lines who are dominant. And this Philadelphia Eagles offensive line is arguably the best run blocking team in the NFL. And they're opening up running lanes for Jalen Hurts, for running back Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. And so when they can set up the running game with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders, it also helps them in the passing game to be able to throw the ball down the field to receivers like Devontae Smith, like Jalen Rager, like Dallas Goddard, who just signed a four-year extension worth $57 million. So he got his money. That's why you saw them trade earlier in the season, Zach Hurts, because they want Goddard to be their primary tight end and be their playmaker in this offense. But you look at Jalen Hurts in the game against the Saints, 18 carries, 69 rushing yards, three touchdowns. He's the third quarterback over the last 20 seasons to score two rushing touchdowns in the first quarter. And on the season, the Philadelphia Eagles, they are averaging 153 rushing yards per game. That's ranked second in the NFL. And I've been very, very impressed with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think they have a shot to make the playoffs. I really, really do. Let's look at their last Six games of the season. Week 12, they're at New York against the Giants. That's a winnable game for the Philadelphia Eagles, especially the way they are struggling with Daniel Jones. Week 13, they're at New York again against the Jets. That's a win for the Philadelphia Eagles. They got a bye in week 14. Week 15, they're home against the Washington football team. That's a winnable game. Week 16, they have the Giants in Philly. That's a game they could win. And then week 17, they got Washington and they got the Cowboys in week 18. I can see the Philadelphia Eagles possibly finishing nine and eight and maybe sneaking into the playoffs in the NFC. Because when you look at the NFC, the NFC is very top heavy with the Packers, with the Cardinals, with the Cowboys, with the Bucks, with the Rams. After those five teams, there is a significant drop-off and the other teams at the bottom of the playoff bracket aren't very good. Like the Eagles, they just beat the New Orleans Saints, the Minnesota Vikings. They are inconsistent. Although I do believe in their talent, they got the best duo at receiver in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And again, I said it on the show the other day, Kirk Cousins is having an MVP caliber season, but like, who are they competing against in the NFC? Like, the Falcons? Give me a break. They just got blew out on Thursday night football against the New England Patriots. Carolina with Cam, maybe they can sneak into the playoff picture. But I think the Eagles have a legit chance to sneak into the playoffs as a wild card team 
and possibly be a sleeper come playoff time. It can happen. It can happen. So those are my thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles and how they are playing right now. They're playing some great football, and they have a shot to make the playoffs. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. As in week 11, the Seattle Seahawks, they lost to the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals beat the Seahawks 23-13. to 13. And in that game, let's look up the stats for this particular matchup. Colt McCoy, he went, 20, he went 35-44, threw for 328 passing yards, two touchdowns. Russell Wilson, he struggled for the second consecutive game after returning back from injury. He went 14 of 26. He threw for 207 passing yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions for the second game in a row for Russell Wilson. Not one passing touchdown. And so for Russell Wilson and Seattle, they have lost three straight games. And Russell Wilson, he lost three straight starts within a season for the first time in his career. First time in his career where he's lost three straight games where he started. The Seahawks, they are three and seven on the season. This is their worst record through 10 games since 2009. So Seattle, we have a problem. I've been watching the Seahawks closely this season because you remember in the offseason, fresh off a 12 and four season, Russell Wilson, he voiced some frustrations with the Seahawks organization. His agent even went far as to list four teams that he would accept the trade for. Him and Russell Wilson would accept the trade to if the Seahawks decided they wanted to move on from Russell Wilson. His agent listed four teams. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen anything like it where a franchise quarterback has his agent list teams that he would be open to being traded to. And let's be honest, Russell Wilson is married to an R&B singer like Sierra, and I'm sure she wants to be in a bigger market like L.A., although in L.A. you have Matthew Stafford leading the L.A. Rams with the Chargers you have, Justin Herbert as their, you know, franchise quarterback. But look at New York with the Giants. The Giants, they aren't sold on Daniel Jones being the guy. So I'm sure Sierra would love for her husband, Russell Wilson, to play in a bigger market like New York, like L.A., maybe even Miami. You know, like Atlanta, maybe. Matt Ryan, I think he's on his way out of Atlanta. Pittsburgh. I think Waffensburger is washed. I think the Steelers need to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. And you pair up Russell Wilson with Mike Tomlin. I think that would be dynamic. And I think that's a team that could win a Super Bowl, especially with that defense that they have on the other side of the ball. And they're led by Mike Tomlin. We know Mike Tomlin is one of the best coaches in the NFL. And, you know, he's has the Pittsburgh Steelers in contention every season. You look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, under Mike Tomlin, they have never had a losing season at no point in his coaching career. But when, it, when I look at Russell Wilson, I was looking closely at the situation. 
because of all the turmoil in the offseason. But when I look at the Seattle Seahawks team, what exactly do they do well besides Russell Wilson making something out of nothing and making heroic plays in the passing game? The defense, they just let Colt McCoy pick them apart in week 11. Colt McCoy, he had over 300 passing yards. He went 35 of 44, two touchdowns. And you're looking at this matchup, right? I think Cliff Kingsbury, knowing they were going up against the Seattle Seahawks defense, who has been awful so far this season, I think they had the mindset, hey, let's give Kyler Murray an extra week of rest on that ankle because we have a bye week in week 12 and we're going up against the Seattle Seahawks, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. I think their mindset was we can win this game with Colt McCoy. The Arizona Cardinals, their offense, they had 413 total yards of offense against the Seattle Seahawks defense. Defense is supposed to be your signature, Pete Carroll. What the hell is going on? What is going on with this Seattle Seahawks defense? They have some players on their team in the personnel department who can perform. You have Jamal Adams, one of the best safeties in the NFL, although I think he's overrated. He's one of the best safeties in the NFL. You have Carlos Dunlap up front. You have Bobby Wagner, a proven linebacker for your team. Why are the Seattle Seahawks defensively struggling the way that they are? It's crazy. Look at their defensive statistics on the season. They give up 403 total yards per game, which is ranked 31st in the NFL. They give up 279 total passing yards per game. That's ranked 30th in the NFL. And defense is supposed to be Pete Carroll's signature. Let's talk about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, his coaching record is great. He's 115, 70, and 1. He's won 62% of his games as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He's won at the collegiate level as well, dating back to his days at USC. He won a Super Bowl, and had he given the ball to Marshawn Lynch, he would have two Super Bowls on his resume. But I think Pete Carroll's defense is outdated. And I think the overall scheme for the Seattle Seahawks is outdated as well offensively. Because I look at other teams in the NFL. I look at Patrick Mahomes with Eric Lenny in Kansas City and the creative schemes that they put together for Patrick Mahomes. I look at Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay with Matt LaFleur and how great they are doing. I look at Kellen Moore with Dak Prescott in Dallas and how creative they are with him in their offense. Why is Pete Carroll struggling to put Russell Wilson in positions to be successful when Russell Wilson is an elite quarterback? Make no mistake about it. Russell Wilson is arguably a top five quarterback 
at his best. He's for sure top 10. They got playmakers in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf on their team. So it just makes you wonder about Pete Carroll as a head coach and is his time up in Seattle. And if I'm Russell Wilson, I'm really looking at this situation in Seattle wondering if it's a situation where I can still win a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, he's going to turn 32 years of age, November 29th, which is Monday against, they'll be playing the Washington football team in Washington. So it makes you wonder if you're Russell Wilson, do you want to get out of Seattle, go to a better situation where you can position yourself to win your second Super Bowl? I think these are questions that Russell Wilson should be talking about with his wife, Sierra, and his agent and wondering if it's time to get the hell out of Seattle because the Seattle Seahawks, they are not the same contender that we have seen in previous years. And I think the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson marriage has ran its course. And I think it's time for the Seattle Seahawks to part their ways with Pete Carroll for sure. And if they're not going to trade Russell Wilson, try to bring in a coach who can put Russell Wilson in positions to be successful because he should be having the success that Patrick Mahomes is having in Kansas City, that Aaron Rodgers is having in Green Bay, that Tom Brady is having in Tampa Bay, that Dak Prescott is having in Dallas. It is inexcusable for how bad this Seattle Seahawks offense is looking right now. And I think Pete Carroll, his time has come to an end in Seattle. And I think if the Seahawks organization want to part ways with Russell Wilson, I think they need to consider drafting a quarterback in this upcoming draft. I do. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram and these guys know sports. Joining Wise Guys is Lakers Nation senior writer and podcast host of Lakers Nation and NBA front office. We welcome to the show Trevor Lane. Trevor, how are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, Trevor. So let's get right to it. Uh, I, I want to talk about the Lakers. You know, they lost last night to the Knicks, and uh, they failed to, I believe, 9 and 10 on the season. Mm-hmm. And first, I know you've been asked about it, like, numerous of times. I know you're probably tired of talking about it at this point. But we have the incident that took place in Detroit Sunday night between LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart. LeBron ended up getting suspended for – one game, Stewart ended up getting suspended for two games. So what's your overall opinion on the altercation that took place in Detroit? And do you believe that the NBA got the suspensions right? Um, you know, it was, it was certainly, obviously, first and foremost, an unfortunate thing to see, particularly in Detroit, brought back a lot of bad memories of what had happened there in the past with the malice of the palace and, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, as far as the suspensions go, they're pretty much what we were expecting, uh, flagrant two, a lot of the time you will see that turn into a one game suspension. So we weren't surprised that that's what LeBron got. There was some hope that the NBA would see it the way that the Lakers saw it. And Frank Vogel put this out there after the game uh, said it was inadvertent contact. What he was trying to do was knock uh, Stewart's hand away from his ribs. There was a kind of aggressive box out and LeBron was trying to smack his hand away and accidentally caught him in the face. That's the, the Lakers interpretation of the, of the events. 
Yeah. And uh, the NBA said, no, we're, we're still going to give you the one-game suspension. So LeBron sits out against the Knicks. Lakers lose in a close one. Maybe that swung that game. Uh, and then Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart was the part of it that I was surprised was only two games. I could have seen it being more because he he lost it. He, For me personally, the part that I really didn't like was that he had plenty of time to compose himself and to think. It wasn't just a in-the-moment reaction um, teammates were holding him back and there was a po- potential for serious injury for other personnel on the floor, whether it was trainers, uh, that he bowled over assistant coaches. You had Kate Cunningham had to lock his arms around him to try to eventually hold him back. I mean, he had the thought process to tell everybody I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine to get everyone to relax just so he could break free again and circle back around to try to get to LeBron uh, that got pretty ridiculous. So I was a little bit surprised it was only two games, but it's not like it was going to be a 10 game suspension. I was thinking maybe it would be, you know, three or four or something like that. Two games. It's not, it's not like it's an outrageous number or anything of that nature. It's, it's essentially what we expected it to be. And hopefully it's not something that we'll see again. The Lakers do play the Pistons uh, this coming weekend. They'll see each other again. So uh, hopefully cooler heads prevail this time around. Yeah. And I agree with you there, Trevor. I, I thought, with this altercation that, you know, LeBron, he did swing the elbow, but you saw him immediately, you know, try to apologize and say, my bad, like, my, you know, I caught you there. And I thought that Stewart's reaction was honestly worse than even LeBron's elbow initially. You know, like he was running over coaches. He was running over members of the training staff, players. I mean, he was completely out of control and I just thought it was an overall bad look because the NBA, they don't want these kind of altercations in their league. You know, this is the same place where we had the malice in the palace. So I just thought it was an overall, you know, bad look on Isaiah Stewart. I think he, you know, justifiably had a reason to be upset with LeBron in that situation. I would have been upset as well, but I just think his reaction uh, made the situation much worse than it originally was. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, the, the reaction was not great. Again, I can understand being upset in the moment in the heat of the moment, right? When it happens, look, he got, uh, he got a number of stitches in order to, to close the cut that was on his, his eyebrow. So it's not like it didn't hurt. It's not like it was a, a nothing blow or something like that. Um, obviously it hurt and he knew he was bleeding and sometimes that can change your, you know, your demeanor, but, uh, yeah. you know, he had time and an, an initial, bout of you know i'm angry at you and i you know him being upset i can understand but he had plenty of time to calm down to think to process the situation and uh still chose to continue going right after lebron and and the lakers and uh to me that uh that's just that that can't happen in this league i agree and and i also saw people on social media trevor they were talking about how lebron he didn't want no parts of isaiah stewart uh, I was, and I was just thinking, like, do people realize LeBron James? He is six nine. He's two sixty. Like, like, what do you like? I, that really blew me away. How people were trying to act like, like LeBron was like scared of Isaiah Stewart. Like, I didn't think he was scared of Isaiah Stewart at all. Like, I just think LeBron knows in that moment. Hey, like, he's a veteran. He's been in the NBA for nineteen years. Like, you, you know, obviously at that moment he knew he'd already made a mistake with the elbow. He doesn't want an altercation to escalate and it become worse. I just thought that was kind of crazy, Trevor. I was on social media. People were talking about how LeBron just didn't want any parts of Isaiah Stewart. And I'm like, LeBron's 6'9", he's 260. Like, he's not my size. I'm 5'6", I'm uh, Trevor. Like, he's not 5'6". Like, come on now. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, what if you're complaining about that, if you're saying, oh, you know, he wasn't tough in that situation or, or whatever, whatever word you want to use. I mean, do, do you really want to, you wanted LeBron to go back after him and you wanted a big brawl on the floor? Like that's just going to result right. in longer suspensions. That's a bad look for the league, particularly with it happening in Detroit. Does that escalate into other players getting into, into, into an altercation? That's, that shouldn't be something that you're criticizing anybody for in terms of trying to stay out of, a situation like that LeBron as you mentioned instantly you know apologized uh from what we heard yeah. he was uh trying to contact Isaiah Stewart that night uh to apologize and and explain what had happened and that sort of thing and so you know I don't I, I think LeBron is not the kind of guy that's going to get into something like that because he knows what it means not just for himself but also for the league I agree with you so Trevor obviously the Lakers have underachieved so far this season with a nine and ten record and you know, I'm a Carmelo Anthony fan. So this year, I'm a Lakers fan. And I may be reaching here, but I'm looking for small victories, Trevor. And this team has been so inconsistent through the first 19 games of the season. So is it far-fetched to believe that an incident like Sunday could be a blessing in disguise for this Lakers team and could be the turning point in their season, like kind of that come-together moment like, given the fact that Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and DeAndre Jordan, to his credit, they had LeBron's James back in that situation. Do you think this could kind of be like a turning point in the Lakers season? Well, that's what Frank Vogel talked about after the game. So this could be a momentum changer for the season. And then the next game, the Lakers came out and gave up an instant 10-0 to run to the New York Knicks on yeah. the opening tip. So uh it, it, there was hope that maybe that energy would transfer over and apparently it did not um they did pick it up in the second half against the Knicks so maybe you know you can see it a little bit there but I mean that was the hope right this team has looked very very sluggish very lethargic through certain games lost games to teams that they had no business losing to yeah. and uh and just the the lack of effort and intensity has been very apparent for large stretches of the season we've seen bursts from them where they look kind of somewhat like the team we thought they would be but those have been few and far between. So, you know, the hope was that that maybe this would finally wake them up and get them going. But uh, based on what we saw early against the Knicks, they still have a long way to go to get there. I saw your video the other day. You were talking with Mark Gunnels. Um, he has the Mark Your Words, uh, Mark My Words podcast. You were talking about Frank Go. You were talking about Frank Vogel and discussing the starting five for the Lakers and which starting five would be the best for the team moving forward. You know, whether it's going small with Anthony Davis at the five and having LeBron at the four, or is it going big, you know, starting DeAndre Jordan at the five? But in my opinion, I believe when you go big and you start DeAndre Jordan at the five, Trevor, that limits Russell Westbrook's um, because of his inability to shoot and hit perimeter shots and not having much space to be able to operate because the paint is clogged. What's your opinion uh, and, and, and your like best route for the Lakers when it comes to their starting five. Like, what would you recommend to Frank Vogel uh, and his staff? Well, it, and it's tough. And I, I put that out there on on Twitter the other day. I said, "What is the Lakers' ideal starting five? Because at this point, you know, we're almost twenty five percent of the way done with the season, and we still don't know. Like, we there's no concrete evidence. And part of that is this team has been so injured. LeBron has been in and out of the lineup, and Taylor yeah. Horton Tucker, and all these other players have been been out hurt." Um, even Austin Reeves was going to start for them. The, the rookie, the undrafted rookie was going to start and then he got hurt. Um, yeah. So it's been one thing after another with them in terms of injury, but long-term big picture uh, from what Frank Vogel has said and what my sense has been, 
I don't believe that the plan going into the season was to start DeAndre Jordan. I think the plan was to start an extra wing. It was probably going to be Trevor Reza and then go small with Anthony Davis at the five. And that what happened was so many guys got hurt that they didn't have the wings to where it would make sense to continue to start AD at the five. And so they just went, well, all right, let's go back to what we know. We want Dwight off the bench. Yeah. So DeAndre Jordan, by by default, you wind up being the starter. Um, there's pros and cons to that. Obviously, uh, he made a difference against the Knicks. He had four offensive rebounds, and so that certainly helped out. But largely, he's been disappointing on the on the season. Uh, the expectations weren't too high, but still, uh, there have been questions about how many minutes he can really play him out on the floor. I do think, ultimately, they're going to circle back around to Anthony Davis at center once they get and hopefully this happens, their full complement of wings back because what's happened is whenever they play Anthony Davis at the five, and this is where Frank Vogel has had an issue because this kind of goes against most of his defensive theories, but when they play AD at the five, uh, he's getting pulled away from the basket with regularity, whether that's being switched onto a guard or just, you know, they're putting him on a shooting bag or whatever. And then the Lakers are getting crushed on the boards because yeah. they just don't have the size. Um most other, aside from the big positions, aside from center and then occasionally power forward, they're at a size disadvantage. They're actually a very small team. And so they've been getting crushed on the offensive glass. We saw it against Boston. They got absolutely decimated on the boards. So I think that when Trevor Ariza comes back and you can roll out, and again, I, I hate relying on what 36-year-old Trevor Ariza to be like yeah. the savior of the Lakers season. I don't think that's going to be the case. But in terms of being able to compete on the defensive end, I think the Lakers' best shot is Anthony Davis at the five, LeBron and Ariza at those wing positions, then whoever you want to put in the backcourt uh, alongside Russell Westbrook. That, I think, is your best shot. Gives you enough rebounding plus defensive versatility and switchability moving forward. But, uh, again, we're still weeks away from Trevor Ariza being back, so it's not like that's coming anytime soon. Now i got to put you on the spot here, Trevor. Yep. Uh, in the offseason, there were reports about how the Lakers, they were ready to trade for Buddy Heald. Yep. And instead, they opted to trade for Russell Westbrook. Do you believe the Lakers made the right move? Or do you believe Buddy Hill would have been a better fit for this Lakers team with LeBron and AD than Russell Westbrook is? Oh, I mean, there's no question Buddy Hill was the better fit, right? I mean, that, that was what we said. Even when the, the trade went down, even when we were talking about, you know, potential options before anything happened, we said Buddy Hield was just an easy, natural fit because the Lakers needed shooting. Uh, yeah. Their their big problem against the, the Phoenix Suns in the first round last year was their lack of shooting. The Suns would just pack the paint, leave their shooters wide open, and the Lakers couldn't hit anything. I mean, KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, was the best shooter on the team last season, and he shot like 19% in the yeah. playoffs. Kyle Kuzma was like 17%. They couldn't hit anything. Uh, <laughs> now, all, all those guys have been great so far this season for Washington. Uh, hindsight being 2020, I think at this point, we can probably say the best path would have been nothing would have been just bringing back everybody from the season before. I yeah. mean, if you look at it in terms of depth, in terms of versatility, if they had Caruso and KCP and Kuzma and heck, even Montrez Harrell, those guys still in the mix, especially with their lack of big wings, you could certainly use Kuzma in there. And maybe you still pick up Carmelo Anthony on a veteran minimum deal and, and you have some more peripheral moves. Uh, that probably would be the preferable, op preferable option right now. I understand why they went with Westbrook, but the domino effect in terms of everybody else just about having to be a veteran minimum really hurt the Lakers. Um, if the decision was made that they were making a trade one way or another, uh, I mean, Westbrook's been pretty rough for certain stretches. 
but the Lakers yeah. goal for the last three years really has been three stars. That's been their plan for, for right. years. It's been get three stars. And so I understand why they went the way that they did. And I still think long-term Russell Westbrook can affect winning to a greater level than Buddy Heald can. But that does mean you're going to get a bit more of the roller coaster. You'll get the good Russell Westbrook games, but you're also going to get the bad. Whereas I feel like Buddy Heald would be more of a, of a constant. I agree. And I think the, the main reason, honestly, though, as well, Trevor, the reason why they traded for Russell Westbrook is because you got LeBron James. He's 36 years old uh, in his 19th season. You know, you want LeBron James to be fresh and ready to go come playoff time. And that's why you see him, you know, taking some time off, dealing with some injuries. He's getting older. OK, like final time is undefeated. And I believe they wanted Russell Westbrook in the regular season you know, so he can play at a very, very high level and keep the Lakers afloat in the standings in the Western Conference. To that, you say what? Well, I mean, yes, but that hasn't happened, right? I mean, that right. that right. was that was, and I, I made this point um, uh, recently on one of our shows. Look, Russell Westbrook. That was the one of the big selling points was bringing Russell Westbrook, and then when LeBron James is out for a night or or whatever, if he's hurt, he's a little banged up, needs a night off to rest. Yeah, <laughs> gets suspended, which he's never gotten suspended before, but gets suspended. Uh, then you're okay. Yeah, right? you can weather that storm. Whereas last season, LeBron went out, and the team fell to pieces. The offense, but even if LeBron subbed out of the game last season, then the Lakers' offense completely ground to a halt. And the big selling point of getting Russell Westbrook was. Okay, now we've got that guy. LeBron yeah. goes out and we can say, here you go, Russ, go do your thing. And everything's going to be just fine because he's a star level player. He's been an MVP, all that sort of stuff. They've been without LeBron, but they've still lost games that they shouldn't have, even though they yeah. had Russell Westbrook running the show. Now, again, I still have hope that moving forward, it's going to get better. We have seen improvements from, from Westbrook recently um, in spurts. We've seen the guy that we kind of thought he was going to be with the Lakers this season. So I think things are on the upward trend with him. Uh, so I wouldn't write him off at this point, but so far you can't say mission accomplished because LeBron went out and Russell yeah. Westbrook was not able to keep them afloat. For sure. Wise guys on worldwide sports network joining us as Lakers nation, senior writer and podcast host of the Lakers nation podcast and NBA front office show Trevor Lane. So Trevor, Anthony Davis on the season, he's averaging 24 points per game on 52% shooting from the floor, 11 rebounds, three assists per game. I got to be honest, though, Trevor, I've been a little bit disappointed in Anthony Davis this year at various points in the early part of the season, especially last week, Trevor, against the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis, he had 47. Anthony Davis had 18. And the reason why I'm disappointed is because I feel like when LeBron is out, that is a moment for Anthony Davis to prove why he is universally recognized as a top 10 player in the NBA, arguably top five from a talent perspective. And I believe sometimes Anthony Davis just doesn't insert himself the way that he's supposed to, considering the fact that he's the best player on the team when LeBron is out. And I mean, LeBron at this point, he's 36. So you can make an argument that Anthony Davis is the best player on the Lakers team. So you personally, how do you view Anthony Davis' performance so far this season? Yeah, I mean, I understand the disappointment with him. When you look at his stat line, you go, okay, this is pretty much in line with what he did for his career. I mean, 24 and 10, that's pretty good. Blocking yeah. two uh, over two shots per game. He's getting some assists, uh, shooting over 50% from the field. It's hard to complain about that. But then when you dig a little deeper, you see where 
he's actually struggling. And that's just compared to the high bar that he set. We always are going to think back to the 2019-2020 championship, Anthony yeah. Davis, that guy that was a monster. I mean, he looked like an MVP, a league yeah. MVP in, in, in the playoffs. He was absolutely incredible. And what's happened is you've seen the defense maybe fall off a little bit. Now, some of that could be team-related because this team defensively is not what the Lakers have been historically. So rather than have to clean up a few things here and there, you know, one guy, say, gets burned on the perimeter and Anthony Davis can come over and help, but that's more of a rarity. Now he's kind of being relied on to deal with everything, which defensively they've been a mess. Yeah. Um, so that's put him in a little bit of a tough spot. The team defense has been not as good, but, but still, I mean, we've seen Giannis Antetokounmpo go right into Anthony Davis's chest and score over yeah. him. We've seen other players do that as well. Jason Tatum did that to AD when he got switched onto him. Tatum had no fear of him. Now we've also seen flashes of the really good Anthony Davis. We saw him, uh, Cade Cunningham blocked him once on the perimeter, blocked yep. him again, going to the basket. Like that's the versatility of Anthony Davis in a nutshell. He's a big who's a, a rim protector, but he can also defend on the perimeter, like almost like a guard would. So that's the upside. But yes, the defense hasn't quite been where it needs to be. But the big problem, and this is the, the key here for him, it's been the jumper. He's shooting 19% from three for the season. And that's not enough to get the job done, not to be a floor spacer. If you're shooting 19% from behind the arc, teams aren't going to care if you're standing out there. And that's the big thing in terms of floor spacing. Teams have to care that you're out there. They, if, they, if they don't, then nobody's going to defend you. You're going to wind up with a very packed paint, which is what the Lakers have been seeing so far. Free throw percentage also down to 74%. This guy's an 80% free throw shooter for his career. Yeah. So the shot has been the biggest concern. The defense, I think as the team defense gets better, his defense will also get better. Um, the team defense has just been so poor that he's looked worse there. And there have been some individual matchups where he hasn't quite looked as good. But um yeah, he's a, he's one of those guys where even when he's good, you think, man, he could be even better, though, if he just did X, Y, and Z. I don't know if that's ever going to be the case with him, if he's ever going to really hit that next level consistently. He's still a really good player, but certainly a bit of a disappointment so far, particularly when we look at those percentages. I want to talk about Frank Vogel for a second, Trevor. He's in his third season as Lakers head coach. He won an NBA championship in the bubble in 2019. They lost in the first round to the Phoenix Suns last year, but he's a proven coach at the NBA level. He, he's won, um, you know, in Indiana with the Indiana Pacers. But quietly, though, this is very quiet, Trevor. I've heard rumors about his job status, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Do you believe Vogel is to blame for any of the Lakers' early season struggles? Uh, yes, but everybody is, right? I mean, that's – yeah. I see a lot of people that are are – angry that are upset that are frustrated and this is part of this is you know i host the lakers nation post game show where after every yeah. game fans come in and they're talking directly to me we, we go over stuff and uh, so there's a lot of fans that are frustrated with frank vogel but there's just a lot of frustration in general and so what tends to happen is that the coach is kind of the lightning rod for that right he's the one yeah. that gets most of the frustration taken out on on him because that's the easiest thing to see, right? Aside from a player shooting poorly or making a big mistake on the floor, the easy thing when you're watching at home is to see, oh, this player's on the floor. I would rather it be that player. The coach is doing a bad job. That must be what, what's happening here. Or the offense isn't working right. It's the coach, right? So I think that Frank Vogel shares some of the blame here, but it's not all on him. The, the rotations have been clunky. There's no question. There have been some substitutions that probably shouldn't have been made pulling a player who's got the hot hand. And because that was 
the way the rotation was supposed to go at that time, rather than adapting and say, okay, this guy's got it going. I'm going to leave him in stuff like that. Over the course of the season, the offense just looking very, very clunky. It was very reliant on LeBron, the defense not being there, but at the same time, like you took Frank Vogel, this defense first head coach, this guy who's won an NBA championship with a very good defensive team, had the top rated defense last season yeah. And you gave him a bunch of players that don't play defense <laughs> um, guys who are historically not known as defensive players. And I mean, Rob Palenka said this said Frank Vogel is a very good defensive coach and we trust him to figure it out. So the Lakers went and got all these guys who don't play great defense individually and just said, well, because we've got a good defensive coach, he's going to make these guys better defenders. And sometimes that doesn't really, that doesn't quite work. Uh, it's, it's not the yeah. way, the way to go about things rather than play to your strengths. They've asked Frank Vogel to make up for a lot. And now it's been worse than you would have expected, but that does come back onto him. Uh, and of course, some of it's on the players too, for just poor effort. We've seen that uh, yeah. pro- pop up this season. So there's a lot of blame to go around. You can talk about ownership as well, not being able, being willing to pay Alex Caruso. There's a lot of blame right now. And it's not just Frank Vogel. It's a lot of different things. The injury bug plays a role too. But that being said, is Frank Vogel on the hot seat? Probably, because when you look at stuff like this, the easiest thing to change is the coach. They only give him a one-year extension. So before, if the Lakers are are thinking, man, what is going on? We need to change the course that we're on right now. The knee-jerk reaction is to change out the coach. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean it's all his fault, but sometimes changing the coach can shock a team into success. We saw it with the Atlanta Hawks last year. So I do think that if there is a major change made, if the Lakers do continue to struggle, especially once they get healthy, potentially Frank Vogel could wind up being on the hot seat just because this is typically what NBA teams do. I I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's in a tough spot. I think the Lakers have asked a lot of him. Uh, I'm not saying he's been perfect, but I would not be surprised if, you know, a few weeks from now, they're still in this spot that they're in at the moment if we start hearing more rumors about Frank Vogel potentially being on the way out. Um, The one caution that I've said to everybody who's brought this up, who are you bringing in? Who takes over for him? Is that, you know, Phil Jackson's not, not coming back out of retirement. Who is it that's going to take over and run the ship for him? Because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Uh, But we'll see what the Lakers ultimately decide to do here. I want to talk about NBA duos for a second. NBA's best duos, Trevor. When I look, think about NBA duos, I think about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in Boston. I think about DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine in Chicago. They got a 12 or six record right now. I think about the Brooklyn Nets, James Harden, Kevin Durant, they're proven. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, once he returns back to the lineup, uh, Splash Brothers, they're Mm -hmm. one of the best duos in the NBA. Do you believe, when healthy, that LeBron James and Anthony Davis is still the best duo in the NBA? Um, I know it's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you look at, you know, like Harden at his best along with Kevin Durant, that's a pretty good combination. That's hard to beat in terms of star power. I do think they are. Um, that said, I want to see what level LeBron can get to. And if Anthony Davis can fix the jumper, like there's yes, but there's some still quite, there's some question marks, right. About what we see out of those guys. LeBron has looked good in spurts, but how much of it is he's coasting right now. He doesn't want to get hurt right now. Can he take his game back up to that next level now that he's older? What does that look like? Can Anthony Davis get the jumper going? If they're at their best, then I think yes. 
but this season we've yet to see them at their best. So I, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like come April, May, you know, hopefully June. We'll, we'll see. Sitting in with Lakers Nation senior writer and podcast host of the Lakers Nation podcast and the NBA front office show, Trevor Lane. Trevor, let's talk about the Lakers competition in the West, shall we? The Warriors, they are leading the Western Conference right now at 15-2, and two, and Steph Curry is the favorite to win NBA MVP. Do you believe that the Warriors are the Lakers' biggest threats in the Western Conference? I mean, right now the Lakers have got to figure out things for themselves before they before they start yeah. worrying about other teams. They've got a lot to work on uh, on their own team. But yes, in the Western Conference right now, the Warriors are playing better basketball than anybody else. The Phoenix Suns are right there again, fourteen and three. My yeah. goodness, they've been they've been tremendous. But the Warriors have been on another level compared to everyone, even Phoenix. And the scary part is they are getting Clay Thompson back in the next few weeks, which is great. I, I mean, I love it when players come back. From injury, you hate seeing guys miss time, particularly a great player like Clay. Uh, he's been out for a while now, a couple of seasons now due to injury. So, uh, but the Warriors have looked really good. And I think the big part of this is not just, it's Steph's brilliance. He's been absolutely incredible uh, again, and, and he very well should be the MVP favorite right now. But it's also that you've seen growth from guys like Damian Lee, like Jordan Poole. Those yeah. guys have essentially raised the floor, right, Steph? Steph and Clay, those guys can raise the ceiling for you, the top end for the team. But what Jordan Poole, Damian Lee, some of these other guys who have stepped in and played for them, uh, Nemanja Bielitsa, what these guys do is they raise the floor. They say even on an off night from Steph Curry, which we rarely see these days, but these guys are good enough to where they can keep you afloat now. Whereas before, like last season, if Curry doesn't go ballistic, they're sunk. Right now, you've got guys who are at a level to where they can keep you afloat, and that has made the margin of error so much wider here for the Warriors. And so they've been they've been really impressive. I think they've been the best team in the NBA um, through the first what quarter of the season. I agree with you. Kendrick Perkins he tweeted uh, about the Warriors. This was in the media aftermath when they beat Brooklyn last week, and I feel like this pretty much sums up the Golden State Warriors team right now he said i've never seen a team combine young talent with great older talent like this it's like the warriors are rebuilding but still competing at the same time it's a beautiful thing to see i, I can't agree with kendrick parkers more like that's how i look at this warriors team like they got a, a lot of young pieces like damian lee like uh peyton jr on their team and then they got veterans like andre iguodala and draymond green mm -hmm. who can still contribute on their team and then you got stars like clay thompson and Steph Curry, uh, who you can who, who are the you know the counterparts of your team, and 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 so I think this Warriors team definitely are the favorites, you know, in the Western Conference right now. So I think Kendrick Parker's tweet was perfect, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you look, you've got some younger guys in the pipeline too, who maybe aren't really ready to help you win in the moment. Guys who you know you've got some injury concerns, obviously, but I mean, Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman, Moses Moody, like you've got some guys that are kind of in the pipeline where maybe next year, maybe the year after, they they become something or. Or you could be in a position too. Let's say Clay comes back and he's looking good. Um, and Andrew Wiggins, by the way, should be be mentioned. He's been been pretty good this season as well. Yeah. But um, as, well, defensively. But when you look at these guys, you've got enough young players that are at least interesting. They might have a move in them come trade deadline if they really want. There there might be a piece out there to where the Warriors get Clay back and then they add something else to where they that could really put them over the top. This could be a very very good team come playoff time, depending on how things play out the rest of the way. Maybe they trade for Carl Anthony Towns. I would love to see Carl Anthony Towns 
paired up with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and go to state. I think that would be great to see and must see TV and uh, would make the, the Warriors legit favorites. They already favorites in the in, in, in the NBA right now, but with Carthy Towns and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, it would be crazy. So let's talk about the Eastern Conference real quick, Trevor. I got a few more questions for you. Coming into the season, the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, they were considered the favorites. But without Kyrie Irving, the Nets, they are 13 and five. They are still first in the Eastern Conference right now. So do you believe they are still the favorites to come out of the East despite not having Kyrie? Yeah, they got off to a bumpy start, but it feels like they've, they've kind of righted the ship a bit. Um, their offense was incredible last season, particularly come playoff time. As long as they had two of their big three healthy, they were all but unstoppable. Uh, offensively, you saw at one point in the playoffs, they were shooting 50, 40, 90 as a team in the playoffs, which is, I mean, ridiculous. Uh, I still think they are the favorite. Uh, it, they got off to a rough start. A lot of people were saying, oh, maybe, you know, maybe the, this isn't it. This team doesn't have it. Yeah. Uh, as time goes on, they're starting to show that, yeah, we are still those guys. Uh, the Miami Heat have been really impressive in the East as well. And so I think there are a legit competition for the Nets. But Kevin Durant is incredible. James Harden, as he gets his legs under him, he's been getting better and better. So when all is said and done, when the dust settles, I do think this team is still going to be the team to beat in the East. The Milwaukee Bucks obviously can't, can't count them out either. They're the reigning champs. But, uh, but I, I think it's going to go through Brooklyn uh, health allowing. I really think they would have been the team to come out of the East last season had injuries not hit them so hard come playoff time and probably hoist the championship trophy last season had, uh, again, injuries not hit the way they did. So if they're healthy, uh, I'd still say the Nets are the favorite. I want to get back to LeBron real quick, and let's talk about LeBron's legacy. What would a fifth NBA championship mean for LeBron's legacy, and where do you rank him amongst the all-time NBA greatest players on your personal list, Trevor? I mean, LeBron, if he were to get that fifth championship, it just reignites the Jordan debates, whether or not he's truly the greatest of all time. And, and yeah. here's the thing. There's a little bit of futility in that, right? Because no matter what happens, no matter what LeBron does, if he could win MVP this year, and, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but he could win MVP this year, win an NBA championship, and then be on the verge of taking the all-time scoring number, and you would still have people who say, it's, it's not him. He's not the greatest of all time. It's still Michael Jordan. Because at this point, we've been saying Michael Jordan is the greatest for so long that it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's like if somebody says, what's two plus two? Four. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan, right? There's not, yeah. there's not a lot of room. There's some people who might say, oh, no, it's actually Kareem. Or actually, it's this player, right? But there's not a ton of room for debate in there. So it's tough for him to take over that, that mantle of greatest player ever. I think he is right there in terms of what he's accomplished in this league, how long he's been in this league, what he's done, uh, the level of dominance that he's had for so many years. Uh, a fifth championship would obviously just enhance his case. But like I said, if we're ranking all time, there's it's we're probably not going to be able to look at it objectively yeah. until what, 10 years after he retires. That's, that's when you're going to get people because he's very, very polarizing. So the people who really don't like LeBron, they're never going to say he's the greatest. Whereas once he's gone and he's not part of the NBA anymore, you'll see people start to come around on him. People who've been losing to him for years, that, that pain kind of fades. And yeah. then they'll start to be a little bit more objective uh, about him. That's how, how it tends to go with uh, star level basketball players, particularly who are highly polarizing ones. It's what we saw happening with, uh, with Kobe as well. But uh, to answer your question, is he, where is he? I mean, 
he's a 1A, 1B situation with Michael Jordan. I know that's kind of a, a cop-out. Yeah. Uh, I probably still give the edge to Jordan just because of his career accomplishments and everything. And who knows what he would have done if he didn't uh, take those those seasons off in the middle of his career. But uh, I'm still going to give the edge to Jordan at this point. But, I mean, LeBron is right, right, right there. And he is absolutely incredible. And, uh, I mean, what a what an amazing talent to get to watch. I agree with you, Trevor. But last week I heard you say on the Sports Labs mouse with Earl and Speedy that Kobe is the greatest Laker of all time. And I 100% agree with you. But I've also said this, Trevor, and I want to get your opinion about this. I hear people always compare LeBron James, Michael Jordan, when it comes to the GOAT conversation. And I always say it's disrespectful to overlook the greatness of Kobe Bryant. And I believe there's an argument to be made for the Black Mamba to be the GOAT alongside MJ and LeBron. To that, you say what? Kobe is amazing. I don't know if I would put him in the greatest of all time, simply because um, he didn't dominate to the degree that that Jordan, and he's close, right? Very, very close. And he is the greatest Laker of all time because of what he meant, not just on the floor. I mean, obviously on the floor, is absolutely incredible and beyond belief. But he meant so much off the court too, to the franchise, to Los Angeles, to Lakers fans, right? That's yeah. 20 years that matters. Um, so I do think he's the greatest Laker of all time. And as I mentioned on that show, I, I grew up a Magic Johnson fan and I, I've put Kobe ahead of Magic Johnson as the greatest Laker of all time. And I don't think there's a lot of room for debate there either. Um, but as far as, as Kobe being the greatest of all time goes, you know, Kobe, his three championships that he won with Shaq, people will discount that a little bit because he won with Shaq. Um, I mean, that's not to say Jordan didn't have any help or LeBron didn't have any help either. They, they all certainly had help in order to get there, but Kobe was kind of the one B guy for his first three championships. And I think that's probably something that matters. And maybe you could say he became, um, and on an even playing field with, uh, with Shaq as, uh, as time went on, but he wasn't the guy on those teams that kind of carried them. He carried them for spurts, but he certainly was in uh, in 09 and, and 2010, but that said, he didn't dominate to the same level, I think, that Jordan and uh, and LeBron have over the course of their careers. But again, it, it feels gross even to try to say anything negative about Kobe Bryant because he's absolutely incredible, uh, amazing, amazing talent, and I loved uh, getting to watch him over the entire entirety of, of his career. That was an absolute privilege, so... Uh, it's hard to say anything negative about Kobe. I just don't have him quite in that same tier as yeah. those top two. See, see, Trevor, this is how I look at it. I look at their supporting cast, right? I look at LeBron James in Miami. He had Chris Bosh, had Dwayne Wade, goes back to Cleveland. He got Kyrie Irving, got Kevin Love. Then he goes to L.A., and he's playing with a top-five player, talent-wise, in Anthony Davis. Then you look at MJ, right? MJ played with Scottie Pippen. And I think Scottie Pippen's one of the greatest players of all time. But I also believe Scottie Pippen is a little bit overrated. That's just my opinion. And then you look at Kobe. Kobe did play with the great Shaquille O'Neal. But after Shaq left L.A., played with Pau Gasol. Like, Pau Gasol, he's great. But I never looked at Pau Gasol as being, like, a player that could be in the Mount Rushmore conversation. Like, LeBron played with the third greatest shooting guard of all time, played with Chris Bosh, who was a great player in his uh, time. And then, again, MJ played with Scottie Pippen. 
I just kind of feel like Kobe played with the least, like the least supporting cast of the three after Shaq. Like, one, of course, Shaq, Kobe, dominant duo. Mm-hmm. Shaq was a, arguably the best player in the NBA when he was with the Lakers. I just think when I compare the three, Kobe, MJ, LeBron, that Kobe did more with less than LeBron and uh, MJ overall. That's just kind of how I look at it. I just kind of felt like he carried those Lakers teams uh, to those two championships after Shaq. Sure. I mean, like Pow obviously was amazing and, uh, and he's great. He's not, maybe he's not the all time greater, you know, he wasn't winning MVP awards or anything like that, but uh, he's an incredible player. And, uh, and so Kobe did have him, but again, he's so Kobe was so good in terms of just his, his will and yeah. what he was able to accomplish the, the battle for Kobe was always himself against him. It was Kobe versus Kobe, right? Yeah. It wasn't so much Kobe against the Nets or Kobe against the Magic or even Kobe against the Celtics. It was against himself. How far can he push himself? How far can he push the, the human body? How can, can he get himself up at 3 a.m. to go train? Can he push himself farther, work harder than everybody else? And he did. And that, that's an incredible testament to just his, his willpower. Um, and it's tough, but at the end of the day, I still just don't have him on that quite same tier, but he's right there. Like yeah. it's so, it's so <laughs> close that I'm not going to say, oh no, he's not the greatest of all time or he's not top. You know, you've got people who say, oh, he's not top five or he's not top 10 or whatever. He's great. He's yeah. absolutely great. And the fact is we've seen so many amazing players in the NBA. It's hard to quibble over. Is this guy in the top three or the top five or the top 10 or, or whatever. These guys are all just amazing, amazing basketball players. And, uh, and, you know, LeBron's incredible. Jordan's incredible. Kareem, Magic, Larry Bird, like all these guys that we can put into the mix are absolutely amazing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to fight too hard if you say Kobe's in the top three or if he's the, the number one. You can make arguments for just about any of these guys. Agree, agree. Two more questions for you. I want to talk about Carmelo Anthony for a second. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite player in the NBA, like I mentioned earlier, and I think he's having a great year so far and is a legit candidate for NBA sixth man of the year. He's averaging 15 points per game, shooting 46 from three-point range. I think he's playing his role at a high level right now for the Lakers. What do you make of his performance so far? Carmelo Anthony's been great. He's been in a in a rough season. He's been a, an uh, you know unquestioned success for them. And when you look at at what the Lakers have done with him out there on the floor in terms of his shooting ability, he's been the main floor spacer. It's not necessarily what we expected going in, but he's been the best three point shooter on the team. Now last night against the Knicks. Did not shoot that well, but overall in the season, been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the Staples Center crowd has absolutely loved him. They've fallen in love with him immediately. Yeah. And uh, and he's he just gets red hot in an instant. His ability to hit shots over just about anybody is incredible. Uh, he's also been, uh, been spoken of very highly by Frank Vogel as a leader in the locker room, a guy who's really uh, taken to heart everything that they want to do defensively and bought in there. So he has been great for the Lakers. He's been an absolute bargain on a veteran minimum contract. And, uh, and so, look, he's, he's been absolutely tremendous. And, I mean, great, great pickup for the Lakers. One of the – there haven't been a lot of things that have gone right for the Lakers this season, but the signing of Carmelo Anthony has certainly been up there in terms of things that really worked out for them so far this year. Agreed. The 75th anniversary team was recently announced, and some players from this Lakers team were added – on that list, including Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, 
uh, Anthony Davis, but most notably missing from the list, Trevor, was Dwight Howard. And he wasn't too happy about being left off of the list. What's your thoughts on Dwight Howard being left off the 75th anniversary team list? I mean, I think he's certainly deserving. Uh, I mean, three-time defensive player of the year, multi-time all-star. Uh, he's been in the running for MVP before. Uh, what I think that happens, though, is when you're doing a list like this, you kind of get – like you, there's, a, there's an overemphasis on the now, right, and the lens that we're looking at the NBA through right now. So when you think of Dwight Howard, role player, comes off the bench, hustle guy – boxes out, rebounds, does the dirty work. That's Dwight Howard, right? Yeah. That's that's what he is at the moment. And so that sort of takes some of the shine off of what he was when he was at his best. And so it's we think of Dwight in the present and lose sight of what he really was when he was, you know, when he was 26, 27 years old. So yeah. that changes the perspective on him a little bit, whereas you've got some other guys who are really good right now uh, they are going to get a little bit more credit. I mean, people even question whether or not Anthony Davis should be on the on the list over yeah. Dwight Howard because Dwight was so dominant. I mean, brought it as the guy brought a team to the NBA Finals and the the Orlando Magic. So I think Dwight's certainly deserving. But the challenge is always okay. Dwight's deserving, but who are you taking off? Right. Yeah. I mean, if the NBA and I think that you've got a, a better argument to say the NBA could have gone retroactive and rather than just say our 50 greatest, which we did for the 50th anniversary, we're going to remove some of those players and add on some of the more modern current players. Then it's a little bit easier. But when you say, okay, the last 25 years, we only are adding 25 players to this list. That's where it gets a little more difficult, right? Like who are you taking off and saying this player is not as good as Dwight Howard? Like there's so many deserving players that yeah. it's, it's hard to remove anybody no matter what I guess what I'm getting at is no matter what you do if you want to put Dwight on somebody else is going to feel slighted and somebody else is going to have a strong case for why they should have been on the list agree I mean is he eight-time all-star Trevor five-time all-nba first team three-time nba defensive player of the year award winner four-time nba all-defensive first team I mean he was dominant I think the stops in Atlanta Charlotte and Washington really really hurt his career because when he was with the Orlando Magic, he was arguably the best player in the NBA, definitely the best big man in the NBA at that particular time. And I just think those stops with the, the Hawks, Hornets, Wizards really, really hurt Howard overall. But I think, again, I think he um, deserves to be on the list. But I do agree with you. Who do you take off? It's just so many great players uh, on the 75th anniversary team. Uh, it's tough. It's definitely tough for sure. Yeah. And when you look at, at Dwight and, and kind of how this has all gone to, we also have to remember that the NBA went out under, underwent major changes, particularly at his position. What centers were expected to do has changed so much compared to when he came into the NBA yeah. uh, to now. Now, essentially, if you can't shoot threes, if you're a center, um, post-ups aren't really a thing anymore. Now that we've got nah. you know advanced analytics and all that, I mean, depending on the player, yes, you still see them, but it's not like, it's not like back in the day. It's not like 2000 when, uh, you know, you post up Shaq and, and you just throw the ball into him and, and you let him go to work. And a number of teams around the NBA operated out of the post. You don't do that anymore. And so the game has changed so much for centers where now Dwight was expected to just, okay, set screens, roll hard to the basket, protect the paint, rebound. That's it. That's, that's yeah. your job now. That's a tough transition to make. 
Now he has made it, and, and to his credit, he transitioned into being a role player later on in his career, but the entire game changed around him mid-career, Agreed. right? So that's that's another thing that we have to factor in with Dwight that was not easy to adjust to, and that's part of why we saw him have all these different stops with different teams because he struggled at first to keep up with a very quickly changing game. Like if you go back and you look at a game from 15 years ago, even it almost looks like a different sport. The way, the way the offense runs is completely different. Defensive schemes, completely different and rules have changed too. But, um, but yeah, that, and that's something that Dwight had to deal with mid career, which is not easy. For sure. Lakers nation, senior writer and podcast host of Lakers nation podcast and NBA front office show, Trevor Lane, Trevor, I appreciate you coming on wise guys on the worldwide sports network this morning before we get out of here what's your favorite thanksgiving dish oh pumpkin pie top of my list pumpkin pie i love my pumpkin pie as well trevor let everyone know where they can follow you on social media yeah you can find me on twitter at trevor underscore lane on instagram at trevor lane nba uh most of my video work is over on the LakersNation.com youtube channel which is where we do our live post game shows we do daily lakers videos there and then uh, all of our written work is over at LakersNation.com. Trevor, I really appreciate you coming on, Wise Guys. I want to bring you on again here in a couple weeks and talk some more Lakers basketball. Thank you for joining the show. Hey, sounds great. Thanks for having me. That was Trevor Lane of the Lakers Nation podcast, senior writer for Lakers Nation and NBA front office show. Trevor Lane, great, great time talking some NBA basketball with Trevor. Everybody remember to go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys for Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Before I get out of here, I want to go over these Thanksgiving Day football games. 12 o'clock, we have the Chicago Bears traveling to Detroit to take on the Detroit Lions. Detroit, they are winless on the season. Bears, they're coming into the game with a 3-7 and seven record. There are reports out of Chicago that Matt Nagy, if he loses this game to the Detroit Lions, he will lose his job. I think it's time for the Bears to make a change at head coach. I think they need to bring in a head coach that can put Justin Fields in positions to be successful and build the offense around Justin Fields' skill set. I think the Chicago Bears should be on the phone right now with Ryan Day, head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and trying to convince him to come to Chicago and be the head coach for their football team. I think if you pair up Ryan Day with Justin Fields, they have the familiarity dating back to their days at Ohio State when Justin Fields was a quarterback. I think that is a situation that Justin Fields would thrive in. And I think the Chicago Bears would be contenders, not only in the NFC North moving forward, but in the NFC overall. In this matchup, I'm gonna pick the Detroit Lions to beat the Chicago Bears in Detroit and get their first win of the season. Dan Campbell, he's been trying to get the Lions their first win of the season. He's been coaching his ass off and he's been trying to win games. Last two weeks, they lost to the Steelers in week 10. They lost in week 11 to the Cleveland Browns. It was a close matchup. So Detroit, they are close. I think this is the week that they break through and beat the Chicago Bears in Detroit on Thanksgiving. I'm rolling with the Lions to beat the Bears 20 to 17 on Thanksgiving. Let's transition. Let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders and the Dallas Cowboys. Raiders coming off a loss against the Bengals last week. Cowboys lost to the Chiefs last week. 
I expect the Cowboys to have a bounce back performance. Dak Prescott will outperform. Derek Carr, I got Cowboys beating the Raiders 27-17 in Dallas. Buffalo at New Orleans. Josh Allen and the Cuban struggling. They're going up against the New Orleans Saints. I got the Buffalo Bills getting back in the win column. Buffalo Bills beat the New Orleans Saints 33-30. to I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair in New Orleans. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Enjoy your holiday. And before I get here, I want to call out Matthew Judon, though. I got to call out Matthew Judon before I get out of here. Matthew Judon, he was talking about macaroni and cheese. He said, quote, it's just cheese and noodles. It's not that good. Get macaroni and cheese off the table at Thanksgiving. It's disgusting. Get it off the table. Macaroni and cheese is my favorite dish. I couldn't disagree with Matthew Judon more. He's completely wrong. I love a macaroni and cheese, especially if it's made from the right person who can cook some good macaroni and cheese. Looking forward to the Thanksgiving tomorrow, spending it with the family. Everybody enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday and Black Friday shopping on Friday. This is Trey Larkin signing off for Wise Guys. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore OH. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm Trey Larkin signing off of the Worldwide Sports Network. Happy Thanksgiving. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.